morning. And hopefully each one of us as brothers and sisters in Christ, as God's family, have been edified and encouraged as we have sung together, as we have prayed together, as we have gathered around the table of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ together. Several months ago, we began a sermon series, somewhat of a short series, although you may think that it's getting long, based upon Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 to glorify God in your body. And in that very first lesson we did from this series, we looked at some significant truths from this particular text, and we're not going to spend the time this morning to go over those again, but just to kind of refresh your memory and some things that you can keep in mind as we go throughout our lesson today. First of all, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, at the very beginning of that particular text at verse 12, the Apostle Paul reminds us that not all things are profitable for us, that not all things are beneficial to us or to other people, and we're going to be people if we're followers of Jesus Christ that are not going to be controlled. We're not going to be mastered by anything or anyone except Jesus Christ himself. Secondly, we said from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that the body is for the Lord, the physical body that God has created for us in which our soul inhabits as we walk in this world, that that body is for him. And connected to that, We, as Christians, as followers of Christ, need to remember that our bodies are members of Christ. Paul talks, of course, in that particular text and makes a specific application, as we did in a a lesson a couple of months ago, about fornication and not joining ourselves to one to whom we should not be joined in a sexual way. Because we are members of Christ, we're not members of harlots, we're not members of a prostitute, but we are members of Christ. Fourthly, we said from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this is a very important truth that you are not your own. Because our body is for the Lord, because we have been connected to Jesus Christ when we made the decision to come and follow Him, that our bodies are not our own. We can't do with our bodies whatever we want to do, like many people in the world around us might think. But Christ is to be our head. Christ is to be our Lord And he is to control us. Number five, we said from 1 Corinthians 6, as the Apostle Paul closes down that discussion at verse 20, he says, you need to remember that you have been bought with a price. And hopefully we've already done that this morning. As we have just eaten the supper of our Lord together, hopefully we have remembered that we have been bought with a price as the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as he willingly laid down his life for each one of us. And then number six... We said that this is very important, that God will raise us, just as God the Father raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that one day God will raise our bodies from the dead and he will change them into immortal bodies and we will live with him eternally. And so as we keep those particular truths in mind from 1 Corinthians 6 this morning, what I want us to do is to think today, as we thought in the last couple of lessons about how we use our bodies to think this morning about something maybe uh, most of us don't think about, and that is what we put into our bodies. And especially I want us to think about what the scriptures have to say to us about putting alcohol into our bodies. I think, at least from my perspective, the things that we're going to discuss this morning, the things that we're going to consider from the Word of God, 
I think in principle and truth, these can apply to other things that we might put into our bodies that may be harmful to our bodies, things that may become addictive, as we've already pointed out in the principle from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 about we're not going to be mastered or controlled by anything. And so while we are talking, or at least while I'm talking about specifically putting alcohol into our bodies as Christians, I want you to be thinking about those truths from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to be thinking about some principles from passages that we will consider this morning. The very first thing I want to say to you may seem a little bit shocking, but here it is. To my knowledge, there is not a verse in all of Scripture that says, in so many words, you shall not drink alcohol. At least there is not a verse that I could find in all of God's Word that applies to all of God's people for all time. There are two texts, as I was thinking about that, that prohibit consuming any alcohol whatsoever. And I want us to think about those, just read them very quickly and to look at them. I don't have them on the screen. But in your Old Testament, you might want to open first to the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 10, Leviticus chapter 10, and let's begin reading here at verse 8. These are some instructions that the Lord Jehovah gave to Aaron. And this is following the incident you might remember with Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, and them offering strange fire to God. But notice what is said beginning at verse 8 of Leviticus chapter 10. The Lord then spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting, so that you will not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations." And so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane and between the unclean and the clean. And so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. So I want you to keep what God said through Moses there or God said through uh, to Aaron rather there in mind, uh, in the back of your mind. And then to turn in your Bible over to the next book, to the book of Numbers. In Numbers chapter 6, Numbers chapter 6, we have some more instructions that are given by God, this time through Moses. Numbers chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When a man or woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to dedicate himself to the Lord, he shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar whether made from wine or strong drink, nor shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh or dried grapes. All the days of his separation he shall not eat anything that is produced by the grapevine from the seeds even to the skin. All the days of his vow of separation no razor shall pass over his head. So as you think about those two texts, as you look at those two texts, just to make a few observations about them for your consideration. In the first text that we looked at from Leviticus chapter 10, God is directly commanding Aaron and his sons, which we know would be the priests, that they were not to drink wine. They were not to drink strong drink when they entered into the tent of meeting. Uh, this is, of course, during the time before the, the temple is built there in Jerusalem, before, long before Solomon comes along and builds that dwelling place for God among his people. But this is what we might call the tabernacle. And so as the priest, as Aaron and his sons would have been priests, this is the tent, this is a place where they were performing their priestly duties. This is where they went to offer sacrifice to God. This is where they went to offer all of their services to Jehovah God. In the second text that we looked at just a moment ago from Numbers chapter 6, 
God is directly commanding Israelites who were keeping the Nazarite vow. He says a part of keeping this vow is to make sure that you abstain from drinking wine, that you abstain from drinking strong drink, that you abstain even from drinking vinegar made from wine or strong drink, that you even abstain from drinking grape juice. And yes, if you noticed, and we read in that particular text, while a Nazarite was keeping his vow to the Lord, God says you can't even eat grapes. I believe as we look at those two texts from the Old Testament in Leviticus 10 and Numbers chapter 6, that that there are certainly some principles, there are some general truths from these two texts that we can apply to ourselves. God obviously, if you have taken the time, it's kind of a laborious read to read through the book of Leviticus, it is all about the holiness of God. God is trying to teach His people, I am holy and so you be holy as my chosen people. And we certainly, I think, can learn from these two texts that were given specifically to priests and to those who were keeping a Nazarite vow, some lessons about holiness, what that might look like in our lives if we're going to be holy people. That there is certainly a lesson for us to learn about dedicating our bodies and dedicating our lives in service to God. There is a lesson about, I think, all of us being saints that as the New Testament borrows this language of being priest from the Old Testament, uh, Peter in, in his epistle tells us that we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We're a people that have been set apart for God's own purpose. Lots of good lessons, I think, that we can learn from these two texts. But having said that, I don't, I don't believe that these two laws that God gave to certain segments of His people during this time specifically apply to us as Christians today. In fact, as we just read in these two texts in Leviticus chapter 10 10 and Numbers chapter 6, these were specific laws given to the priest and given to those who were under the Nazarite vow. And they did not even apply, it seems to me, if I'm understanding correctly, to all Israelites during that particular time. And so again, as I stated just a few moments ago, to my knowledge, there is not a verse in Scripture that says, you shall not drink alcohol. So does the absence of a specific prohibition against alcohol ever touching the lips of a child of God mean that it is something that is wise for us to do? That 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 is living our life according to God's wisdom? Does it mean that that's going to help us do what we've, what at least I've been trying to emphasize these last few lessons in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Is drinking alcohol, is putting drugs into our body, is that something that's going to help us glorify God? in our body or something that is going to hinder us in that pursuit. I know that there are people, even some Christians, who might answer yes, emphatically yes, to those questions. But I believe that God's wisdom and God's warnings and His Word concerning this matter that we're speaking of today are clear enough to me that I can confidently say no. And if you disagree with that conclusion, I would just ask that you listen at least this morning Not so much to what I have to say about the scriptures that we're going to look at, but listen to God. Listen to God speak. Listen to God's wisdom about these particular matters. I want us to do, there's a number of passages that we could look at, I guess, along these lines this morning. But just to look at two texts from the Old Testament and then to to look at two texts from the New Testament. And we're going to go to the book of Proverbs, obviously a book about wisdom and God's wisdom to us about a whole lot of things concerning our earthly lives. First of all, in Proverbs chapter 20 and in verse 1, 
Proverbs 20 and verse 1, the wise man says to us here, Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it, or some translations may say whoever errs by it, is not wise. In this verse, it seems to me that, that the wise man kind of does what he does in a lot of the Proverbs, or even in the book of Ecclesiastes, even in the, in the collection of the Psalms, that he is taking something that's inanimate and, and kind of making it animate. He is uh, bringing that to life for us. And so I think in this verse, the wise man really is attributing the effects that wine and strong drink have on the person who is drinking them to the drinks themselves when he says that wine is a mocker and strong drink is a brawler. One who drinks these kinds of drinks becomes a mocker. He becomes one who very quickly maybe isn't sober-minded as he should be as a child of God. He becomes one maybe who is ridiculing those things that are holy, those things that are serious, those things that are of God himself. And oftentimes one who drinks alcoholic drinks becomes a brawler. He becomes a person who is just out of control. He becomes a person who, uh, if you think about someone who is just very loud, someone who is very obnoxious, someone who is just raging at the things that they say and they do, someone, again, who is not in control of himself, he is not living a self-controlled life. And, of course, the New Testament has some things to say to us about that, doesn't it? Not just about this specific topic, but we as Christians are to be self-controlled people. That is a fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit of God is actually working in our life, that's going to be shown in our life. And so that being true, the wise man says to us here in this verse that whoever errs or whoever is intoxicated with alcoholic drinks is not a wise person. A few chapters over in chapter 23 of the book of Proverbs, chapter 23 toward the end of this particular chapter, beginning at verse 29, uh, the writer here asks some questions, and I think he's trying to paint a picture for us of this particular person and what his life looks like. He says at verse 29, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, at the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. And you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink." I think, and maybe you think differently, but as you think about these two passages from the Old Testament that we're emphasizing this morning, from chapter 20 and verse 1, he makes some statements there, and we certainly are to take notice of them. But it seems like here now the wise man, the writer, is even bolder in the wisdom that he is giving us from God himself, in the warnings that he is giving us from God himself about drinking alcohol. I want you to just notice five things from this particular text. Number one, he says... Those who, he talks about those who seek out intoxicating drinks, that they have multiple problems. And that's why he begins this section by asking these questions. Who is, who is the person who has woe? Who is the person who has sorrow in his life? Who is the person that has 
contentions? Who is the person that is just overrun with complaining? Who is the person that has wounds and he doesn't even know how he got those wounds? He doesn't know how he was injured. Who is the person that has redness of eyes maybe when he gets up in the morning? I don't know about any of you, but I have enough problems in my own life (laughs) to deal with and enough struggles to overcome in my own life without adding this whole list that he mentions here. And if we don't want those problems in our life, there's a very easy answer. There is a very easy solution for us. But he says to us, first of all, those who are seeking out intoxicating drinks, verse 30, those who are lingering long over wine, those who are going to taste mixed wine. This is a person, it seems in my mind, who has that purpose in mind. They know exactly what they're doing. They know what they are looking for. And he says, you're going to have multiple problems in your life. Secondly, he says that intoxicating drinks are deceptive, verses 31 and 32. He says, don't even look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. The things that tempt us oftentimes look good on the outside. It looks appealing to us. It looks attractive to us. And that's what we talked about a little bit in our lesson, if you were here last Sunday morning in the assembly period, uh, about that statement through Scripture, do not be deceived. That I I believe the devil is very good at at deceiving us, not only about this issue that we're speaking of this morning, but uh, about a whole host of issues. That he makes it look good to us. He makes it look attractive to us on the outside. And something that we want to engage in, that we want to experience in our life. But then he says to us thirdly, that intoxicating drinks impair our senses. Verses 33 and 34, that your eyes will see strange things, your mind will utter perverse things, and you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of the mast. You just really don't have an awareness as you need to have of what's going on around you and your surroundings. Your senses are impacted. Number four, he says that intoxicating drinks give you a hangover. At verse 35, He says, they struck me, but I did not know it. I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. And then finally, from this passage, number five, intoxicating drinks are addictive. Verse 35, the end of that verse, here is this man saying, when shall I awake? I will seek another drink. This seems to have totally taken over his life. That something maybe that started out as just one drink, something that started out as something that's very small and something that This person thinks they can manage, they can control, ends up managing them and ends up controlling them to the point that this is their whole focus in life and it does consume them. So let me ask you just a couple of questions about that. What message do you think? Especially Proverbs 23, what message do you think these very vivid, very colorful descriptions are telling us? Are they telling us that that it is wise or it is not wise to drink alcohol? Are they telling us that drinking alcohol will help us again in glorifying God in our bodies or they will be a hindrance to us as we try to fulfill this instruction to glorify God even in our physical bodies? Then I want us to take a look at a couple of passages from the New Testament along these lines. First of all, from the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, we probably don't think about the book of Ephesians addressing this particular subject. 
But I think it has some wisdom to give us along these lines. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 15. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes here, he says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That There are obviously two ways that the Apostle Paul is laying before his audience there in Ephesus and us today. Two different ways that we can choose to live our lives. We can either choose to live our life and walk in God's wisdom, or we can choose to live our life and walk unwisely. Uh, we were talking a little bit about this particular uh, point, I think in Xavier's class this morning uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 about the wisdom of man versus the wisdom of God. And that's, I think, really what Paul is saying here in this text. You, you, we get to decide. And he's addressing this especially to Christians. We get to decide, we get to choose how we want to walk. There's a wise way to walk and there's an unwise way to walk. Notice here in this whole text, the wise way includes things like understanding Christ's will in our life. What, what is it that Christ wants us to accomplish in our life? It is things like being filled with God's spirit. That, that we are living spirit-filled lives that the spirit is leading us and guiding us in our lives it is things like teaching one another in song, as we've already done this morning. Paul says that's a part of the wise walk. It is giving thanks to our Heavenly Father for all the blessings that He has given to us. It is even submitting ourselves to one another, realizing that we are all on an equal plane as far as our spiritual condition is concerned. In the body of Christ, we are all one. But the unwise way includes living foolishly, living excessively, which the Apostle Paul says here includes getting drunk. It's, it's living like the rest of the world lives, in essence. Again, I know as you look at this particular passage in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul didn't say taking one drink of alcohol means that you're walking in an unwise way. But I just want to ask you to think about the question, does drinking alcohol allow you, help you to walk wisely? Is it going to be something that will hinder you as you try to glorify God in your body or something that will be of help to you? And the other passage I want us to consider this morning is 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. The apostle Peter talks to us about the way that we live, the way that we once lived, and now how we are to live. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Peter says, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. We, we all recognize, and I think the older we get, the more we really see the reality of this truth, 
that our time here on this earth is very, very short. Even if we live to be 80, 90, 100 years old, it is very, very short. It, it goes by in the blink of an eye. And since that is the truth of the matter, since our time here on earth is very short, the Apostle Peter was encouraging and urging his brethren in the first century and us today that we need to spend whatever remains of the time that God has given to us here. We need to spend that time living to accomplish God's will, not to live like we lived before we became Christians, not to live just to satisfy our own desires and desires that don't glorify God. And so Peter includes in that list what these people once were, kind of like the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, you, spent a, you, you have had enough time in your life to pursue this kind of unwise course in your life. You've had enough time to pursue this kind of worldly course in your life. And he mentions there in those things, drunkenness and drinking parties. Not only does Peter say, it seems to me in this text, that we must not get drunk, but he also says we, we don't need to be a part of that crowd that's going to just gather for the purpose of drinking alcohol. We don't need to be associated with drinking parties. And that could have lots of I think, applications for our lives. But let me ask you again, what message do you think Paul and Peter are sending to us that it is a wise thing for us to drink alcohol or it is an unwise thing that drinking alcohol again is going to help us in our pursuit of glorifying God or it's going to be something that hinders us? Well, this is something that a lot of people deal with. This is something that a lot of people struggle with. This is something even that those who are Christians struggle with. And as we close this morning, I want to read just a short part of an article that I read several years ago. It was written by a gospel preacher about drinking alcohol, but he closes by telling this little story, a true story. He said, on March the 8th, 2015, I received a phone call from a young man in jail in Texas. He called me after having been shot during a domestic altercation with his girlfriend, which occurred after both had been drinking. He'd been treated for his wound, arrested and incarcerated. He later told me that he wanted to stop drinking because he realized it removes his inhibitions and self-control. I knew this young man well. He had been taught that drinking was wrong from his youth. His parents did not drink, and he was never around social drinkers growing up. But not long after leaving home as a young adult, he began buying beer and drinking at home. Some Christian had told him that the Bible doesn't condemn social drinking. So after a while, he began to drink with his buddy socially after work. Later, his drinking played a part in leading him to become involved in sins that ultimately caused him to lose his family to divorce. This young man is in a sad spiritual condition. I have prayed many prayers and cried many tears for him. He is my son. A lot of people struggle. Lots of people struggle. And just because we think that we are faithful Christians, that our children are not going to struggle with this, we need to have our eyes open, brothers and sisters, to just how addictive and how destructive drinking alcohol can be.
it can happen to any of us. And so let us not be deceived. Let us not think that we are strong enough that we will never fall. This is real life stuff. Where we began this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you belong to Christ, your body belongs to him. And therefore, I believe it's very clear from that passage and other passages that we are under obligation to glorify God in our body. What about you this morning? Do you belong to Christ? That's where you need to start if you don't. Uh, This lesson is not really designed to help you necessarily, to tell you how you need to respond to the grace and mercy and love that God has offered us through His Son, Jesus Christ. But He certainly has offered us that. And He has the power to change all of our lives so that we can live for Him. We can glorify God in our bodies. As we sing this song of invitation and encouragement that our brother Jacob has chosen for us, would you think about the invitation of Jesus Christ? If you need to respond in any way to that invitation to become his child this morning or to come back to him if you wandered away from him, won't you make your way to the front as we stand and as we sing?